You're listening to I Am The Gentry, and I'm Cara Gabriel. Chapter 7. Pitbulls. It is not unusual for my husband and I to walk our little beagle, Palo, at 10 or 11 p.m. It is also typical for us to remember at about midnight on Sunday night that Monday morning is trash pickup. So, frequently, Palo gets his final walk late Sunday nights while we also move our giant, city-issued trash cans to the curb. This walk is usually a short one, just around the corner and back. Still, we usually take in our pockets a small container of pepper spray. Our dog, Palo, is not large. He weighs in at approximately 22 pounds, but his bark really more of a makes him sound like a beast at least three times his size. And, as is sometimes the case with animals possessing brains the size of a walnut, he is frequently unaware of the implications of his large voice. One night, in early spring, when we were taking out the trash and giving Palo, who was mercifully quiet this late night, his last walk, Adrian and I noticed that the street also seemed quiet. This was odd because our house is located on a fairly heavily trafficked thoroughfare. It's on a bus route, one of the wider city streets. It was something we didn't even notice when we bought the house. Now we alternate between cursing the location, it's so loud, and thanking our lucky stars for it. Lots of traffic means fewer car thefts on our block. Now, sometimes in the city, the occasional stillness is jarring. But on this night, it felt peaceful. We were comfortable in jeans and long-sleeved t-shirts. I knew the walk would be brief, so I had slipped on a pair of Adrian's sneakers, which looked like clown shoes on my small feet. My feet flopped down the street and we giggled through the silence as we rounded the corner onto the side street, the site of our trash pickup. A single elderly gentleman walked quietly past us toward the intersection. He was nicely dressed and walked slowly with a cane. We smiled and bid him good evening. He did the same. When suddenly, out of nowhere, two large caramel-colored pit bulls came barreling down the main street. They ran directly at the old man, who by this point was ambling across the street. We watched in horror and disbelief as the man beat the dogs away with his cane. In the split seconds that passed, Adrian and I looked at each other, looked down at our 22-pound beagle, looked back at the pit bulls, and acted on instinct. In the moments before we leapt, Thoughts and images raced through my head like a slideshow out of control. First, I remember thinking, how fiercely that feeble old man defends himself against those dogs. They are actually backing down. Then, the prayers. Oh, dear God, let my dog stay silent. Let him not see, hear, or smell those pit bulls. Let him tug tenaciously at his leash and lead us unnoticed in the other direction. And then, the shared thoughts between me and Adrian. The telepathic conversation before we leapt together to defend ourselves and our dog. Roo! Fuck! Do you have the bear mace? No, it was such a short walk, just a quick one to take out the trash. I'm so sorry, I forgot. How about a cell phone? No, neither of us. And so we acted on instincts we didn't even know we had. Adrian reached down and grabbed Palo by his harness and lifted him as if he weighed no more than a paper sack. By this point, Palo had noticed the other dogs, and his barking began. Deep, elongated howls, his emergency siren to let us know that danger was near and he would protect us. 
Adrian clamped a fist around Palo's muzzle, but it was too late. We had diverted the pit bull's attention from the old man and onto ourselves. More telepathic communication. We can't outrun them. Where will we go? Behind this fence. And Adrian jumped. He hurdled our neighbor's wrought iron fence with Palo clamped tightly in his arms. I watched the fence pierce the back of his leg and rip his jeans, and then he cleared it. I followed closely after him, and despite a decade of lost time, my ballet training came back and I cleared the fence gracefully in a single bound. I saw Adrian glance at me quizzically. Had I held my arms in fifth position? Was I pointing my toes through his clownish shoes, his untied sneakers I had so haphazardly thrown on? No sooner were we behind the fence than the pit bulls were upon us. They could no doubt smell Adrian's blood-stained jeans, see my pansy non-violent leap across the fence, and they were desperate to answer Palo's howled challenge, now muted only slightly by the force of Adrian's fists around his muzzle. We tried to run up onto the neighbor's back porch, but Palo's leash caught on the fence. I reached out to untangle him, my fingers inches from the pit bull's foaming, clashing jaws. Once Palo's leash was free, we ran up the steps. Adrian, with Palo still clamped tightly in his arms, yelled to me, Find a weapon! Find a weapon! What? The search was on. I searched frantically through the clutter on my neighbor's porch and threw each item aside as I deemed it an unsuitable device with which to defend ourselves against the bloodthirsty beasts jumping up at us. An old couch cushion? No. A plastic flower pot? No. A ball of string? And then... I found them. Two longish pieces of aluminum. They were light, and the pit bulls probably could have easily bitten them in half, but they were the only objects on my neighbor's porch that had the remote chance of assisting us in our battle. If only we had been on our own porch with a shovel, a rake, a spade, and a bag of rocks. Oh, the comfort I would have felt there. Instead, here we stood on Miss June's poorly outfitted cement porch, staring down at two bloodthirsty animals just waiting for us to make a misstep. Me, with my legs spread wide, knees bent, and holding high two long aluminum sticks, waving them about like a clownish comic version of a female Jackie Chan. There was yelling. Please for Palo to shut up, commingled with deep, booming commands directed at the pit bulls. Off! Off! But the pit bulls leapt higher and higher, snapping at us, mocking our rage, calling our bluff. Then... In a most unexpected turn, the pit bulls began to retreat. Oh, sure, they looked back at us a few times, but their attention seemed diverted to something else, something around the corner on the main street. We peered around the corner to see a hulk-sized man pick up the female dog and tuck her easily under one arm. The male dog leapt playfully at the man's side, and after a few giddy circles back in our direction— the dogs and the man walked up the street and out of sight. When the man and the dogs were out of sight, Adrian and I, still shaken, stayed within the bounds of neighbors' fences as long as we could and ran stealthily back to the safety of our home. Adrian tucked Palo under his arm and kept his hand gripped firmly around Palo's mouth, though Palo tried desperately to sound his alarm. When we reached our porch, I jammed the key into our two locks and one deadbolt. We scrambled in the door, locked everything up tight again, turned off all the lights, and silenced our dog. Adrian and I both climbed our stairs quickly. I ran to get my cell phone and dial 911. What had happened to the elderly gentleman, after all? Adrian had other plans. Adrian ran to his side of the bed to grab the hammer, 
an aluminum bat we had purchased a year ago when a teenage gang in the Virginia suburbs had repeatedly smashed all of the windows of my car. The 911 dispatcher picked up and asked, Fire, ambulance, or police? I replied, Police! Police! She drawled, What's the nature of your emergency? I explained to her that we had been nearly attacked by two loose pit bulls without collars. I also explained that the dogs had attempted to maul an elderly gentleman in the middle of the street. I told her that the pit bulls were now under control, in custody of their presumed owner, and that I could no longer see them. But the police might want to take a spin out here to investigate the scene. The dispatcher replied in her deep, resonant drawl that dripped with disapproval. Oh, no. Pit bulls? Mm-mm-mm. I could almost see her shaking her head. Just then, Adrian ran back outside, wielding the hammer. I screamed at the dispatcher, and now my husband is running outside with a bat in his hands. Get the police here now, please. Adrian, Adrian, do not go outside. Get in here right now. The dispatcher said, that's right, you get your man inside. Do not go outside until the authorities arrive. Mercifully, Adrian acquiesced. Through the half-open door, we could hear Elise, our loud teenage neighbor, yelling, I hate dogs! I hate dogs! I know who owns them. That's Anton. Anton owns those dogs. They out of the yard all the time. They are Anton's dogs. We quickly shut the door again, nervous that Anton and his dogs would return. We ran to the window and crouched down under it so we could watch unobserved what was transpiring in the street outside. In a matter of moments, the paddy wagon rounded the corner. Bizarrely, I felt a twinge of regret. Would the dogs be taken away or put to sleep? No bad dogs, only bad owners, right? And as a bad owner myself, I understood this maxim in a first-hand sort of way. I wouldn't want Palo to be punished for my delinquency. But slowly, the paddy wagon crept down our street. We could see Elise watching from her yard as well. Then the paddy wagon traveled north in the direction Anton had led his dogs and disappeared. All was quiet. About 15 minutes later, we were still peering out our window, unconvinced that the danger had fully passed. Having lived in our neighborhood for over a year at this point, we also knew that, even on a quiet night, front row seats to the street provided more entertainment than anything we could find on our pitiful cable-free television. Then, without warning, Anton appeared at the end of our street. He swaggered down the street in the direction of our house. He walked in the middle, on the yellow lines, not on the sidewalk. Elise watched him, too, one hand on her hip, which jutted out to one side. Anton swung his arms and periodically raised them over his head as he shouted, My dogs are fine! My dogs are fine! It was a chant, a mantra. He yelled it over and over again, turning around, lifting his head in the air, making certain that everyone in the neighborhood knew that his dogs were fine, peaceful, blameless. As he took a brief pause from his sermon to breathe, Elise interjected, Well, I hate dogs, and you scared some white folks and they little beagle. Adrian and I crouched so low a person would have had to be standing with his nose to the glass to see us lying prone beneath our front window. The truth is, 
I felt embarrassed that we had been scared at all. I felt embarrassed that I couldn't just roll with it in our new neighborhood, that we had to call 911 to help us deal with a situation that had ultimately resolved itself. In the subsequent five years, I never saw Anton or his pit bulls again. It wasn't until much later that I began to see the other type of pit bull owner in our neighborhood. She is small, young, sweet-looking, usually single. I wonder what she's doing with that dog. Is this pit bull her secret weapon? Her hammer? Maybe she's using him to give herself a sense of security in an environment she hasn't quite got a handle on. Or maybe he's her symbol to the world that she has a heart, she loves animals, and that even the most violent and aggressive of them can be reformed, are worthy of love. But here's what I see. That pit bull, probably a rescued fighting dog she adopted on impulse, with his missing ear and scars from cigarette burns and ugly, unspeakable, tortured past, is this neighborhood. That dog is this neighborhood that burned to the ground in the race riots after Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. That dog is this neighborhood plagued by crack and violence and the AIDS epidemic of the 1980s. And she'll teach that dog tricks and get him a cute collar while she knocks down a wall here and plants some pretty flowers over there. And she'll ignore that dog's past and this neighborhood's history. Because it's easier that way, isn't it? It's easier to love a beast when you think you're the one that made him beautiful, that brought him back to life. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard here, please rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. You can also tell a friend, follow us on Facebook at I Am The Gentry, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at gentry underscore pod. You can also support us by donating at patreon.com backslash I Am The Gentry, linked in the show description. See you next week. <laughs>